Okay, so today we are joined by uh, the legendary Frank Turner, I'm happy to say. How's it going, Frank? <laughs> very well. It's nice to be described as legendary at this time in the morning, but uh, um, it's very <laughs> nice to be part of this chat. You do realise it's one o'clock in the afternoon right now? Well, you know, it's not quite one o'clock. It's four minutes two on my on my clock. And also, like, I feel like that among the many other things that the coronavirus pandemic is doing to me is destroying my sense of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Well, I'm actually on call. I'm actually gone call with work at the moment. So if I disappear, that's that's where right. I've gone. What do you uh, do? Um, I work for for BT. I manage a team of content designers who look right. after all like digital um, internal websites. So they look after all right. the processes. I'm not going to so bore you with it, but no, but um, you're keeping us all connected at the moment. Yeah, so it's appreciated. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's lots yeah, of people. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, imagine, you imagine how screwed we'd be if, if um, that connection failed. Like, well, I was talking to somebody about this about this yesterday about how we'd all be coping without the internet or like what it must have been like in 1919 yeah. and all the rest of it. And like, I definitely, right. if if I'm going to live through a global pandemic, I'd rather do it now than in the past. Too yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That <laughs> was that on the just out of interest. Was that on um, punks in pubs? Uh, I think it was, yes. Oh, yeah, sorry, I'm 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 repeating myself. Forgive (laughs) me that. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, Yeah, no, shout out to them, um, because that's the cool part. Yeah, they're great. It was cool to see you doing that yesterday. So, so what? So, what does a, a staying at home Frank Turner look like at the moment? Then, what's uh, um, how's that working out for you? Phys- physically, um, I haven't had a shower yet today, and I'm still in my uh, in my pajamas. So uh, that's quite look like physically. Um, I mean, it's it's a strange thing for me. I'm, I've always been nomadic in the way that I organise my life, and one of the many things I love about touring is the sense of being in a different place every day. And right. um, I'm very fortunate now in that um uh you know I, I i have my own place and i live with my wife and my cat and um that's a, that's a, a lucky thing in life and and there are many many worse places i could be stuck at this moment in time but nevertheless every morning waking up and still being in the same place is starting to get a little bit old at the moment um should we say uh you know it was lovely for the first week um having a bit of a staycation uh but it's uh, yeah you know i'm doing my best to keep it to keep it yeah. on the keep it under control, so, but uh, it is starting to get a bit frustrating. So, were you just having downtime anyway um, when the when it this kind of kind of became no no I was more serious I, or you out? I was on about? tour actually. Um, I was on the I was on a UK tour. Um, uh, we got the Middlesbrough date in. You'll be pleased to hear. Um, but yeah, we had we had five shows left on the tour, and it was me and my wife and my friends. Uh, Michael Schnabel and Vanessa Jean Speckman from the USA. We were all on the bus together doing solo shows around the UK and it was an absolute blast. And then the news was kind of gathering steam, you know, rolling downhill yeah. like a snowball. And um, the last three shows of the tour were really odd because, uh, you know, the government hadn't yet brought in any kind of bans, but they sort of st- people had started to say that large gatherings are a bad idea. Um, and obviously that's yeah. what I do for a living is I try and gather people together and hopefully large ones um and uh um, (laughs) of course you know it it just kind of the last three shows every day all day me and my agent and my manager and my tour manager were just having long debates about whether or not we should actually be doing the show yeah and um three times we said yes and then the third one the last show was in south end on sea and the vibe in the room was just weird and not particularly pleasant so um at that moment with very heavy hearts we decided to call it and pull the tour and go home and then i'm supposed to be in australia right now um on tour so uh it's it's pretty um crushing not being there because i love australia yeah, have you, presumably you've toured there a few times at this point. 
Many, many times, and but I haven't been back for a little while. I mean, over a year, and and I was I was going to New Zealand, Australia, and then South Africa, and then the other thing, the thing I'm saddest about is I was then heading to South America yeah. for the first time. I've never been there before. Oh, I've been man. trying to book yeah. a tour there for for a yeah. decade, and we finally had one on the books and on sale, and the sales was the ticket, the shows were selling well, and you know, and then we had to pull it, and I'm gutted about it. So, so where where are you at at the moment then, in terms of kind of? rescheduling and and all that i mean are you sitting down with your, your I'm, management I'm, at the moment or are you just kind of putting uh, everything on, on standby? we're putting everything on hold really i think there are with all due respect there are people i know in the industry who are starting to reschedule shows for like end of the summer start of the autumn and i think that's crazy personally mm. i don't it, think it's pushing um, a bit isn't it yeah well it's just the last thing you want to do is reschedule a show and then cancel it again um and uh none of us know how long it's going to last and indeed more crucially in a world Way, how it's going to end because I don't think there's just going to be a day where somebody waves a magic wand yeah. and suddenly it's fine yeah. Um, yeah. you know I think that at the very least there's going to be a kind of staggered return to normalcy and um, when I'm going to be able to do what I do with no restrictions at all in the future is, is an interesting question yeah yeah, and I, I, well I do see that, that you've, you've announced uh, you're doing Fest this year which mm. I mean you know really yeah you know. which I mean the thing is you know it's a, obviously these things booked in advance i got booked to do fest months ago and yesterday was their announce day and and as an artist playing the festival i did my announce as you're supposed to of course it's it's a i i was slightly conflicted about that i have to say and if nothing else it felt like a slightly odd time to announce a new thing at a point in time when everything else is getting cancelled and indeed people are suffering economically but um You know, I sincerely hope that it goes ahead, and and of course, of course. if it does, I'll be there. But um, it's it's a strange thing. My my plans, the, the way that my life works, is generally booked, at least conceptually, up to eighteen months in advance, and I, I have a lot of plans going forward, and and how many of them are going to happen, and when will fit in reschedules and all that kind of thing is an, is an open question right now. Yeah, well, I mean, what do you think in terms of the bigger impact on the industry? Kind of, obviously, this is clearly. Um, you know, massive impact in terms of gigs and shows. But I mean, do you think much is going to change across the industry and for for you as an artist on a on a bigger scale? I mean, um, what do you I, think that looks like possibly? I mean, I th- I think that it's early days to be making those kind of predictions with any confidence at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that there are winners in the music industry right now, which is the streaming services. Um, you know, because everybody sat at home listening to records and watching films, and. Yeah. Um, uh, the debate about the financial setup of the streaming services is a long and complicated and arguably slightly dull one. But um, one might hope that uh, the upshot of all of this, there might be some kind of rebalancing of that. Um, I mean, the other thing, you know, people are doing live streams. I've been doing live streams. Um, I think that over time, people will get more creative with those and, and try and, uh, you know, I think it's kind of cool if, if thousands of people around the world are experimenting with the format, then people will come up with better ideas. And I think that's cool. Um, I don't know what that will look like in the long term. I don't think that streaming is going to long term kind of replace live shows in any no. meaningful way, because the thing that's so apparent to both in doing a live stream and in watching them, because I've been watching quite a few as well, is as much as it is not a terrible substitute for communality um you know you just miss being in the room that's what the show's about more than anything else being in a room full of other people yeah and i mean i see you're doing you're doing some benefit gigs for for kind of independent venues do you think mm. i mean is would did, is that just something that you 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 just kind of wanted to to drive yourself or do you be yeah. speaking to those guys and heard that, that you know that i mean um do yeah you speak, well, so, speak i, I do i mean i have i have a lot of friends who who run indie venues i mean you know the guy 
guys who run Nambuka and the joiners, the two I've done so far, are old, old friends. Um, yeah. The, it, essentially, I got home and immediately did a benefit for my crew. I mean, it just seemed obvious and easy. To yeah. be honest, um, uh, you know, I could sit in my front room and, and also indeed Micah and my wife were, were in the house. And so the whole touring bill for the shows that we cancelled was around. So we thought, well, let's yeah. do let's do one more show of the tour, as it were. So we did that um, and did a fundraise for that. And that worked really well. Uh, but then the following day, I woke up in the same place as I was talking about earlier. So it was kind of I immediately started, well, you know, maybe I can do that again. And what's an appropriate thing to raise money for because I have income from merchandise and from song publishing which is going to at least for the time being is going to keep me in house and home Um, I think that um, and and then you know immediately I started it did cross my mind already anyway because running a small venue is a pretty thankless task anyway your margins are very small Um, venues tend to run month to month or even week to week in terms of their um, survival so a a shutdown like this is going to be absolutely catastrophic for a Mm -hmm. lot of independent venues Um, and I can't single handedly save the live industry or, or indeed independent <laughs> menus or anything like that um that's rather beyond my skills as a dickhead yeah. with the guitar but like i can uh, i can contribute a little bit and um one of my, one of my hopes and i am having some conversations about this is that other artists will start doing this too because it doesn't just have to be me doing this and it's so easy to do and indeed everybody wins in the sense that um uh you know it's it is obviously to my benefit on some levels doing live stream shows i get my audience tuned in you get to connect with your audience and i just want to kind of grab other artists and be like you can do this in like 10 minutes um and and help out a local venue because none of us would be here without those venues yeah and i I mean i think from like a cultural side as well uh, you would hope that i think people i guess we everyone i guess gets caught up in their own busy worlds and lives and i mean i'm guilty of myself of not go into as much live music as as i should do um but i think yeah. once this all blows over you would hope that there'd be this just i guess a, a real thirst for it again and hopefully people come out in their yeah their, their droves I, to I, support I, I hope it. so yeah I, th- I think that there will be a, a big boom in terms of gatherings i mean i just want to go to the pub I actually I I live next door to a pub right and um, I quite right. often don't go there because when I get home it's kind of like well I could go to the pub or I could go and sit on my sofa and have a beer there yeah, um, yeah. and quite often the sofa wins you know what I mean um, but <laughs> yeah, like w- once this once this lifts I'm gonna be in that pub all the time yeah <laughs> have, you, have you been doing many sort of like zoom beers with with with, with your friends that seems yeah, to be my 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 mum has discovered Zoom, which is a blessing. Right. Curse. Um, uh, just in the sense that she wants to do it all the time. Um, yeah, you know, I've been I, quite often if I'm having like a text conversation with somebody, I'll I'll abandon it and just hit FaceTime or whatever. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it just it's it is nice to see people and to talk to people. And you know, I love my wife very much, and we're getting along fine. But at yeah. the end of the day, this is the most amount of time we've spent with just each other. Like right. since, since we got together, um, and and it's it's all well and good, but we both of us we're very social people, you know. Um, on on a lighter note, I just wanted to to just uh, reference. Seems to be like you're having a bit of banter with Fat Mike with uh, some some <laughs> of these Instagram yeah, posts. Yes, yeah. Okay, <laughs> the thing about that is I can't. I now have to be quite circumspect. When's this podcast going out? Probably the next few days. Next few days. Next few days. Okay, I'll be circumspect then because I'm not actually sure what the plan is but basically mike and i have have a plan of a thing that we're doing together right. that we have been planning for months and months and oh. months um, oh, wow. and uh it is going to hit the world in the way that it will i can't this is the thing i have to be kind of cryptic about this um it's gonna 
hit the world. Basic. My point is, there is method to our madness. There is a reason that we're doing okay. all this shit. We're not okay. just taking the piss out of each other. As much as I would do that anyway. Right. I fucking love my <laughs> old friend, and he's a wonderful guy. But uh, and indeed a complete maniac. Um, but, uh, there is all, all of this. All of this is building up to something. Okay, and that build-up right. shouldn't be affected through uh, by what we're going through at the moment. No, in fact, no. we're kind of moving it forward a bit just because, fuck it. Do you know what I mean? Awesome. Like, oh, people amazing. are stuck at home, so why not? That's so cool. Yeah, he's such a character. Uh, so, you know, mm. presumably you, you grew up on his music, so to be able to call him an old friend must Absolutely. be... Absolutely. Must be a hell yeah, of a thing Yeah, I mean, the, I, 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 met him, I met him a decade ago. Um, uh, actually, right. so it was at Reading, Reading Festival, and I'd played the main stage, and No Effects were headlining Lockup. And yeah. um, they uh, they were doing that thing. They play the decline, and they get somebody else to step in on Hefe's guitar when Hefe plays trumpet right. right at the end of the song. And yeah. um, <clears throat> Skiba was supposed to do it, and Skiba had gone AWOL. Um, and somebody right. introduced me to Mike. I was just hanging around like a fanboy. Somebody introduced me <laughs> yeah. to Mike, and Mike said, "Do you know the chords to that bit?" And I kind of said to myself, "I know all the chords to all of your songs," <laughs> um, uh, which is true. Um, and then I was like, "Yeah, sure, I could probably figure it out." Do you know what I mean? Trying to play it cool. Um, yeah. And so they threw me up there, um, and I did the song. And Mike said to me afterwards that I, d- I did the backing vocal at the end as well, when it goes, "We are the queer, we are the whore." Um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and he said that they've had loads of people do that stand-in bit and i was the first person who'd ever done the backing vocal so um he decided to check out who i was he had no idea who i was and uh he went off and listened to my stuff and then uh, the next time i played a show in la which was about four months later he came down to the show and uh we went for a beer afterwards and i was just sitting there pitching myself being like i'm having a beer with fat mike <laughs> um but and you know and we both got really pissed and and told each other we loved each other sort of thing pretty much from the off but um uh, we've stayed friends since then very cool. Nice one. Okay, well, I guess we'll probably move away from the doom and gloom of what's going on right now. Maybe go back, go, go back a little bit. So, I guess before sure. this all, um, this all came ahead, you had a pretty, pretty crazy, busy twelve months. Got married right yeah. last year. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh yeah, yeah. Congr- yeah. belated Thank congratulations you. for that. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, and it was a, a perfect day. So, um, yeah, it's. I mean, I think what I've been doing. For- last year it's been a busy year no man's land uh less than a year ago um which yeah. was a lot of fun i'm very proud of that record um and then been touring that um we did that kind of storytelling set i don't know if either of you saw it but it was kind of a, a seated affair that it was a different approach to my old material yeah no i i, I didn't see it myself but i knew that i knew that that's something that you were doing did that yeah did that yeah well, well we i mean uh, it did, and uh, we recorded all of the shows um, as well, and so we are sifting through that material, um, and that's another thing that I'm not really supposed to be talking about, but I'll just do a, a podcast wink at this point, and uh, you yeah. can make of that what you will. Uh, also, um, was it was it last year that um, Love Iron Song went, went gold? I think it was the start of this year, actually, but yeah, it was, I mean, Love Iron Song went silver a few years ago, and I was yeah. blown away by that, and then just kind of assumed that that would be that. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. nice. That's a sales award. I'll put that in my downstairs loo um, and move on with my life. And it was uh, an incredible thing to f- discover that it's still selling. <laughs> you know, so uh, I'm very grateful for that. I mean, when I made that yeah. record, the idea of getting any kind of sales award would have been ridiculous. So um, I'm very proud of that. That's cool. Um, I, I also want to say on a personal level, it would be remiss of me to not mention, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this so many times since, since that record came out, but in particular the, the the song obviously about your friend uh queen's dead which is obviously yeah. one of one of your big songs like you know i i lost i lost a friend to cancer in his late 20s and that song was just I'm like meant so much to me and 
the other friends at the time. And like, I remember my friend Chris keeps yeah. saying to me, like, he goes, if I ever run into Frank Turner at a show or in a pub, I just want to take him aside and say, mate, just the tone of that song and the lyrics, it just... Well, thank you. You know, yeah. Yeah, so it, 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 it was one of those songs that just kind of, uh, thank you, it, one of those songs that just kind of arrived. Um, uh, I uh, Obviously, I knew my friend wasn't well and I'd been thinking about it, but I hadn't written anything. And then uh, after she passed away i was in paris funnily enough um uh right. dating a french girl who i wrote another song about on that album yeah, um, yes, and, yes. Uh, um but she used to work during the day so i spent i spent a good few months just kind of in paris and um i walked up uh to sacrica uh on top of the hill there and sat down and pretty much wrote the song in one draft so um or at least the lyrics let's say uh yeah. so yeah it felt like it was one that needed to come yeah yeah no it's beautiful yeah so i just wanted to say that thank you You've been out to Sierra Leone this last year yes, as well, was yeah. it? Yeah, I was, there, I was there in January. Yeah, it was January this year, cool. the start of my year. So you do, um, you do that work with, with Joe, as part of the Joe Strummer Foundation, right? Yeah, but, the Joe Strummer Foundation is run by a guy called Jamie Sticks, who um, used to be the barman at Nambuka when I lived there back in the oh, nice. mid-2000s. Mid and he, we've all yeah. moved on to greater things. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's, he's now running the Joe Strummer Foundation. So, uh, yeah, in 2017, he sent me an email that just said, do you fancy going to Sierra Leone? And I called him back and said, what the fuck are you smoking? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, and he told me about the charity that they'd been working with for a while and said that they wanted to send somebody out there. Um, and I'd never been to West Africa before, so um, I immediately started reading Wikipedia furiously um, and said yes. And uh, um, the first trip was kind of like culture shock, top to bottom. Um, uh, but I'm really pleased that was my third trip in January this year, right. and it really, it really yeah. felt... The, on the first trip, it was really interesting. Hazel, the woman who runs the charity, who's English, said to me, um, she, but lives out there, she said to me, one thing you should know she was like don't tell people you're coming back if you're not actually coming back she was like people will believe the things that you say to them out here right. and they will be crushed if you say that and it isn't true and i immediately oh, wow. said yeah no problem i'm fucking coming back like there's i don't i didn't really see the point in going once do you know what i mean that that would yeah. feel much more kind of dilettante and much more touristy to me so um Building a rapport with people over there has been a wonderful thing. Actually, one of the things, I, the thing I was doing this morning before we started this conversation after my breakfast, but before I had a shower, uh, was um, uh, <clears throat> I'm working on some tracks. Um, I'm, I'm working up some backing tracks for some of the guys over there. When I, when I first went over there, they were all basically musically either doing kind of gangster rap or doing stuff like Akon. You know what I mean? Really? And the, the thing right is, up which, your alley. Yeah, I mean, and I shot up with a kiss guitar, and they had no fucking idea who I was um, at all. Um, incidentally, it's worth throwing in that I've earned a massively new rep, newfound respect for Akon since going to West Africa. Um, <laughs> really? Collaboration I'm, I'm, coming up? Uh, I doubt that. I'm not a fan of his music particularly, but that guy, you know, he's Nigerian, and he has ploughed right. tens of millions of his own money into development projects in West right. Africa. He has okay, done incredible things for the people out there. And I think that's deserving of some respect. Um, but yeah, so I, I, but since I've been going out there quite, because we take guitars out there and I've been teaching people guitar and stuff and quite a few of the kids out there have started writing, uh, I don't want to say songs that sound like me, but you know, kind of Bob Marley-ish type stuff, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I've been doing when I'm not there is working up backing tracks, you know, laying down kind of a beat and a guitar part and a bass line. And then I send it over to them and they put vocals on them. So we've been working on a few things like that, which is fun. Very cool. Um, so, um, and just, I'm just like personally interested as well because I think, mm. I think like you're just with almost the same age. I think you're a year older than me. So it's just like, 
you know, so I know a bit about the music you grew up on, like, you know, obviously, like, things like Counting Pros, Iron Maiden, so it was quite varied. Like, just what were, like, some of the key, like, milestones for you personally? And, like... Um because like for me like Billy Bragg was a big one for me for example I just wondered if that was similar for you and um, yeah, sorry. we'll we'll get to Billy Bragg in a minute I mean, because there's there's an interesting story okay. on that um uh, generally speaking so my parents don't really listen to anything other than like classical music and church obviously I'd heard rock music on like TV adverts and shit like that but like yeah. it wasn't really I didn't really know anybody who was into rock music I had an older sister um, and she was listening to I remember she was into stuff like Four Non Blondes and Madonna and that kind of territory. Um, And then uh, there was this day, I've told the story a million times, but like I was at a friend's house playing Games Workshop and his older brother had an Iron Maiden poster and I thought it was cool as shit. (laughs) And then he said, well, that's a band. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? There can't be a band that's that cool as to have like a zombie cowboy in the future. It was Stranger in a Strange Land poster. Um, and and uh, and then I, 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 my dad bought me an Iron Maiden cassette on his way home from work. And um, that was just a life changing thing for me. Um, so I was into Maiden for a while. Then I, I, I have a, a, a distant cousin. My family's enormous and I know all of my distant cousins. It's quite weird. But um, I have a distant cousin who uh, sort of twigged that I was into Maiden and was like, you know that there are other bands that sound like this as well? And I was like, yeah. no, it can't be true. Um, uh, so I... Um, uh, I uh, um, he gave me a tape with like ACDC and Judas Priest on it, um, and then uh, and then my best mate from school was into he got into Metallica and Pantera, so we started listening to that kind of thing. And I was a metalhead for a long time, started buying Kerrang magazine. Actually, funnily enough, not buying Kerrang magazine because my parents banned me from buying it. So at the age when my <laughs> mates, this is a true story, at the age when my mates yeah. were shoplifting porn mags from the W H Smith in Winchester, I was shoplifting <laughs> Kerrang and Raw and Metal Hammer and stuff like that. Um, and they go home and jack off, and I go home and learn about um, metal uh, so uh, that was a formative experience if ever there was one um, and then uh, the next thing was Nirvana you know I was obsessed with Nirvana for a time Kurt Cobain used the word punk quite a lot um, uh, in referring yeah. to himself and then Green Day and Offspring happened you know Dookie and Smash came out um, uh, at r- around the same time when I was about 12 13 so I got those and then um, I think that you know there's a lot of value in being a gateway punk band Um uh, once or twice in my life, people have rather snidely dismissed me as being nothing more than a gateway act. And I'm just like, I'm absolutely fucking <laughs> fine with that. What a wonderful thing to be. Because the fact of the matter is, no one anywhere has woken up in the morning and just gone and bought a leftover crack record with no prior. No. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, you have yeah, to get yeah. there somehow. Um, and, you know, so for me, it was Green Day and Offspring. And so through them, I got into NoFX, who we talked about already. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know about you guys, I did this thing, because obviously this is pre-the internet. Um, and uh, we used to um, cross-reference thanks lists in episodes. Yeah, I thought you were going to say records. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I mean, uh, one thing I would do is essentially buy anything with the Epitaph or Fat Rec logo on it. Um, yeah. And uh, the, there was a record store in Winchester, and the guy in there kind of got to know that I would do that, so he'd put them aside for me. Um, and sometimes I came across some amazing stuff doing that, and sometimes I ended up buying kind of down-by-law records, which I'm not as into, I have to admit, right. even at the time. Um uh, or assorted jelly, assorted jelly beans and stuff oh, like that. Oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know, I, I essentially, you'd sit down with you've got three records you like, and everybody thanked all the bands 
they toured within them. So you'd look down, and if the if there was any band that you'd not heard of that was on all three thanks lists, you'd be like, sweet, I need to get that, um, yeah. and go down to the record store and ask them to order it. Or after a while, as I got kind of deeper into the underground, um, uh, I started getting into distro catalogs. So um, uh, Crank Records from Louisville, Kentucky, had a, a mail-order catalog. Um, initial Records from... Uh, from Delaware, I think that might be wrong. Uh, and then, in particular, no idea records that are in Gainesville. They all have mail order oh, catalogs, yeah. so I started buying like you know, hot water, hot water music. I hate myself. Boy, it's fire, mineral, Christie front drive, all that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, and you know, I was a teenage music nerd, and um, uh, I was lucky enough to have a mate who was incredibly. Uh, not incredibly. He 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 was better off than me. Let's say that he had a much bigger like allowance from his parents, um, and okay. he was in the same music as me. So what we do is the two of us would look at these distros together. He'd order like ten CDs, and, and then I would like tape them off him, um, and that's how that worked for quite a long time. And that and that that road took me down through hardcore into emo, post hardcore, math rock, um, and then uh, you know into stuff like grindcore and all that sort of thing. Um, uh, and then the next thing was discovering that there were people in England making this kind of music. I discovered household name records in the UK, HC scene in London in the 90s. And I went down to the Evil Fest um, and I went to see Knuckle Dust and Imbalance and Special Move and Nine Bar and Stamping Ground, all these kind of bands. Um, mm. And got super absorbed in that scene because it was actually happening. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't now just looking at photos of cool gigs in Gainesville. It was like, sure, I can sure. go to a hardcore show in London at a bar with no stage in it. Um, and I can X up because I was straight edge at the time and all the rest and, and, and throw myself into all of that. So um, that that was the big thing for me. And then, sorry, I'm doing the whirlwind version of all of this, if you'll forgive me. <laughs> no, no, that, um, no that, that's very welcome. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, so there was a the point in my life and then I was in a bank, I was in a bank called Million Dead um, and, uh, you know, Million Dead was sort of, an, uh, sorry, Knee Jerk was an attempt to kind of smash Refused and Early Cave-In together um, and yeah. uh, not very successfully because we were 17. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, you know, Million Dead, we were more into stuff like Hot Snakes and Jesus Lizard. Um, still quite a lot of Refused as well, if I'm honest. But um, yeah. Uh, and then it was just, essentially at some point in my early 20s, I started to get a little bit tired of shouty, chuggy guitar music um, and started listening to kind of country and folk and roots is the word people use um stuff with acoustic guitars it, it was funny because of the way my music taste had worked out i'd never really listened to bob dylan or bruce springsteen or neil young or any of those kind of people uh before right. i'd listened to every single available sick of it all b-side you know what i mean so yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was kind of new territory for me discovering johnny cash and mel haggard um and and all that kind of thing so and and then that started harking back to the fact that my sister had also when we were kids got into stuff like counting crows and levelers which i sort of had one foot in that taste and, and like the first couple of Radiohead records and that sort of thing. So I kind of rediscovered a taste for sort of songs and melody, let's say, um, okay. uh, and uh, started playing acoustic guitar in my spare time. And then Million Dead broke up and I thought I'd do that full time. And that's where that brings us to. Um, <laughs> uh, Billy Bragg, incidentally. So the, this is a true story and it's going to sound like I'm protesting too much, but I promise it's true. Um, after I'd done my first kind of demo cds that i was selling at shows and i'd done maybe six months of solo touring so this is 2005 2006 all the fucking time people would tell me i sounded like billy bragg yeah which you know and the thing is now i can sit here and take that as a compliment um because i think bill is a legendary songwriter and a genius and all the rest what? of it and and a friend i might add I was, I was just saying when i first heard nashville tennessee i, I was just like because uh, I knew Million Dead, but I didn't know you were mm. doing the solo stuff. And I heard that Nashville, Tennessee. I was like, 
this sounds so much like Billy Bragg, but that was a good thing when when I thought that, you know? <laughs> well, that's it. I'm not sure the people, yeah, people people weren't saying to me as an insult. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah people course, weren't saying yeah. that to me as an insult, but I, I, I got a bit sort of shirty about it because I was like, who's this fucking Billy Bragg character? <laughs> um, so uh, um, I went out and I got that Must I Paint You a Picture box set um, that came out yeah. um, uh, around so that time. So many songs on that. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a it's a pretty comprehensive greatest hits, if you like, and um, yeah. and uh, and I went, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and and got hard into it from there. And it was not that long after that that I encountered Bill firsthand, simply because to there are many many things to say in Bill's credit, but one of them is the fact that he um, uh, is an absolute. Uh, dedicatee of underground music he knows more about what's happening on the front line of new and emerging acts and underground acts than i ever will and he's given his age i think that's wow. really impressive because you that's know people cool. do get less interested in new stuff when they get older and um you know he's always got his finger on that pulse which i think is really impressive and he um came across me and i ended up playing with the left field not long after that um and you know mm-hmm. and he, he really helped me along so hats off to bill i guess just just on that uh, for, for obviously where you are now you you very much transition across scenes in terms of the festivals, the gigs you play. You know, you go to the punk rock ones, you do your folky ones, yeah. you go to the mainstream festivals as well. Do you do you, do you approach them any differently, or is it, um, you know, do you go in a, with a different mindset for like a mainstream festival or what you play uh, yeah, or what you do? Like, I I'm in two minds about that because I'm not sort of feel like. I should just do what I fucking do. Do you know what I mean? You book me, yeah. you get me. Um, that said, like, you know, I probably do less crowd surfing a seated folk festival than I would um, at, a, <laughs> at, a, at, a, at a punk show. Uh, you know, and I guess you do, I do tailor it a little bit, I suppose. But um, yeah. I, there is a level on which, I, I mean, we played at Folk by the Oak last summer in Hatfield, which is a very trad folky festival. Um, and we headlined and I, there was a, so there was a bunch of people who were there to see me who knew the deal there were a lot of people who were very politely and pleasantly checking out what I do and uh, I've been throughout the whole set I've been in two minds as to whether or not I was going to get in the crowd um, and at the end of the show I was like fuck it man I'm doing it do you know what I mean these guys need to see what a show looks like so um, when, and, and I could also sort of tell that there were enough people down the front who knew the deal who, that I wouldn't just get on the crowd and fall straight on my ass so uh, um, I decided that it was worth doing uh, and got involved and it was, and it was su- success yeah yeah definitely I mean I didn't get dropped so um, uh, so there's there's victory for you so I know we, we kind of railroaded through the whole um, progression mm. of for you from a music point of view but just want to go back to kind of your actual journey into sure. music obviously um, you know, it's well documented. You, you know, you went to Eton. You're privately schooled. How, I mean, how was that in terms of kind of taking your music from, you know, just your, your, your you know, hanging out with your friends, yeah. going to gigs, doing a little bit of music to that actually becoming, um, you know, coming onto the next level and and a, and a real career. Was that was that smooth sailing or was it difficult? I know you you, you sing yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, I th- the, the first thing to say is that I didn't. Re- you you said friends there. I didn't really have many friends at school because I fucking hated it. Oh wow, <laughs> yeah, people that yeah. I went to school with, um, yeah. and I felt very. I mean, I don't want to be too kind of woe is me about all of this, but like I got sent there on a scholarship, and and I have a vivid memory of not really being entirely sure what was going on when I got dropped off for the boarding part of it for the first time. Yeah. Like my mum and dad dropped me off and then left, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Where are you guys going? Uh, why am I still here? Um, and uh, you know, I really didn't enjoy it. And then it's, I mean, counterfactual history is boring, but like I, I, I wonder how visceral punk rock would have been for me if I hadn't been caught in what I've 
found to be an extremely well, that's interesting. unpleasant situation. You know, because the the rage and the defiance of it, and the fact that fucking no one else, with the exception of that guy I was chatting about earlier, um, nobody else at my school knew what punk was. A few people knew who Green Day and Offspring <laughs> yeah. were. No one had yeah. fucking heard No Effects, let alone Black Flag. And, um, you know, I immediately, I mean, I remember um, in it would have been... Summer 95, which, well, towards the end of 95, which is around the time I first went there, there was the Blur Oasis face-off in the charts. Um, yeah. And I fucking hated Britpop at the time. I must admit, <laughs> I've, 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 I've gone back and discovered some good bands that I missed, right. like Pulp and Gomez and bands like that. But, like, yeah, I really hated it at the time. So I made, I had a homemade <laughs> T-shirt that said Shit Pop. And I wore it. <laughs> I wore it in school and got kicked, got the shit kicked out of me. Um, you know, I was a new kid, first year. I was a scholarship kid who were always slightly on the edge socially there anyway. And I marched into the middle of school wearing a shirt that said "shit pop," and so they kicked the fuck out of me. Um, and oh, I, I'm, I'm sort of I'm medium proud of that. Um, uh, but, um, you know, uh, so you know, for me, punk rock was always an escape and a release. And like one of the things I find kind of interesting, difficult. I've got to be careful in how I phrase this, but like I have friends who like talk about how you know, oh, my parents took me to see the Clash when I was a kid, or you know, I, I went to Glastonbury when I was like eight, um, or or at the very least, you know, I went through my parents' recollection and listened to Led Zeppelin and all this kind of thing, and that's all well and good. But for me, my understanding and my relationship with music is in its very core is kind of rebellious in the sense that this was a thing yeah. I was not supposed to do. And it was music I had to go mm -hmm. and find on my own and that I was told not to listen to. And then um, when I was at school, people took the piss out of me for listening to this kind of music. And then I started going to hardcore shows. Uh, and indeed, I might add, there was a moment when I first started going to hardcore shows in London in the, in the late 90s where people on the scene discovered that me and my mate came from Eton College and there was a bit of a backlash against that. People oh, were just right. like, what the fuck yeah. are you guys doing here? Yeah. Which was yeah. initially utterly mortifying because i was like i'm fucking here because i hate where i'm from do you know what i mean and like yeah, this is my yeah. escape and don't fucking close this down as well um yeah but to their credit a lot of people on the scene turned around and said look punk's supposed to be for everybody particularly lil from household name who remains a close friend and they sort of oh, said nice. look they're, they're, they're as welcome as anybody um so you know uh, uh, uh but all the way through like music feels like a thing i've had to like I don't want to be melodramatic, but it feels like a thing that I've slightly had to fight for to be into. Do you know what I mean? And it's a sense of identity that I've had to like carve out, um, and and that's quite important to me. And and yeah, like I say, people are like, oh, you know, I, I went to Glastonbury when I was ten. I'm like, well, lucky fucking you, dickhead. Do you know what I mean? I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and uh, um, and there's no universe in which that could have happened. I asked my parents if I'd go to Reading one year when I was a kid, and they told me to get fucked. Um, so uh, so yeah. So um, you know, it's always been so my sort of my escape. So, so what? What? At what point did kind of family start to kind of accept that that was that was going to be your journey? Uh, a couple of years ago. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 barely exaggerating when I say that. I mean, there was definitely a really? moment when Million Dead broke up. Um, uh, my mum, I mean, my parents separated at around that time, and uh, right. my dad and I are completely estranged these days. But. Um, uh, and that's no, a long story that I'm not going to go into because it's personal. But um, my mum, I think, I, I think my mum kind of saw Millie Dead Broke Up and kind of breathed a sigh of relief because it was around the time that I graduated from uni as well. And she sort of said to herself, right, cool, that 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 phase, that dreaded word, phase, that phase yeah. is, com <laughs> is finished now and he's going to go and get a job or whatever. And I got an acoustic guitar and started playing solo shows and indeed playing <laughs> much smaller shows for much less money and sleeping on the floor <laughs> and indeed kind of getting fucked up a lot of the time that was a very messy period of my life and i think my mum was mortified by that and, and like you know um really 
uh, worried and upset. And I can, as a, now that I'm a bit older, I can sort of understand why. If nothing else, what I do is completely outside of her um, her universe. Do you know what I mean? She doesn't, she doesn't get it. Um, right. But I think if I had to pick a moment where that changed, it would probably be the Olympics thing that we did because of that moment. <laughs> um, it was like, this is a real job. Um, and and uh, my mum kind of got it. big scale. Point. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, well, the thing. So I'm, I'm going off on red herrings here, but the thing about the Olympics that was funny was that Danny Boyle asked us to do it, and I was like, "Fuck it, why not?" Um, but we had to sign non-disclosure agreements. We weren't allowed to tell anyone that we were doing it, right? And right. Um, I decided I was going to tell my mum because she's my fucking mum. Do you know what I mean? And it was exciting. Yeah. yeah. I, and I told her, and I was like, "You cannot tell anybody about this." So my mum went and told fucking everybody about this. <laughs> And like, I started getting like text messages from my aunts and stuff being like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And it was just like, what the fuck? Um, uh, so that was a bit, uh, that, there was a near miss in the sense that like, if, if right. we had broken that disclosure agreement, we could have been kicked off the show. Oh, wow. Right. Any, any idea how that came about though, in terms of Danny Boyle being he's, kind of a, is he's he a, a, a Frank Turner He's fan, a fan, or? yeah. He got in touch yeah. and um, I got an email nice. saying Danny Boyle wants to have a meeting with you. And I was, me and my manager got invited in for this meeting and we immediate, we knew he was doing the Olympics at the time. It was in the press and we both immediately said, well, it's not the Olympics because that would be fucking ridiculous. So it's got to be something else. <laughs> so we went in for this meeting with him and he had a kind of animated mock-up of the opening ceremony on which he'd already, there was a little animated guy with like a, a picture of my face pasted on it <laughs> um, <laughs> on on his uh, thing already and um, uh, and and the, interestingly I, d- I did three songs there one of them was broadcast as the main ceremony but um, uh, he he chose some deep cuts um, he asked me to play Sailor's Boots which is a b-side do you know what I mean and oh, I, wow. I was just like yeah, oh, yeah. this is this is a dude who knows his shit you know and, <laughs> and, and and indeed he said to me look you can play whatever you want but this is my suggestion and I was like I'm gonna go with your suggestions Danny because <laughs> you're running the fucking opening Olympics ceremony um, so, and you're Danny Boyle and you're Danny Boyle he's a lovely guy um, and yeah so we did it and, and I mean I've not had any contact with him since but he was an absolute sweetheart to work with have you had any other um, fans that have come out the woodwork that have kind of taken you by um, surprise? Yeah. Uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant used to come to my shows a lot. I'm, I'm no oh, right. I mean, not 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 with me knowing about it. I would sort of discover afterwards because they would get guest list off the promoter or something or some connect somewhere in the machine that I didn't know about. And um, Daniel Radcliffe has cited Love Iron Song as one of his favourite records. Um, right. So Oops. hooray. Cool. Um, I mean, I mean, he seems like a lovely guy. I, I've never met the guy. I'm sure. I'm sure he's a sweetheart. But um, you know, he comes I, across well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and he's kind of the right age. Do you know what I mean? There's definitely. Yeah. And I yeah. and I'm I'm including you guys in this as well, if you don't mind. But like, there's definitely a no, demographic sure. of people who were kind of, uh, you know, finishing uni around the time Love Iron Song came out, and that was definitely or or at uni, and that was a big thing, I think. But it's it's funny, like you do. You know, because of obviously those influences that came in when you started going solo, I think, you know, and, and I'm sure you see this a lot as well. You do appeal to some individuals in like older demographics. Like yeah. I just remembered like, like check out this random story. So I remember um, this is a couple, maybe about five years ago or whatever. I used to, I, I used to walk to work. I was working at King's College at the time and I, I was like walking through London and this woman, she must have been in her, I'd say late 50s, early 60s, just stopped me in the street. And she was just, because mm. I was wearing a social distortion t-shirt. She was like, oh, right. social distortion. And I was just like, oh, are you, are you, oh, cool, are you a fan? And she was like, no, but I am obsessed with Frank Turner and I've heard him cite them as an influence. <laughs> so I've checked out social distortion. <laughs> now I'm a fan of them. <laughs> oh, amazing. Mike Ness owes yeah. me one on that. Fuck it up. Yeah, he definitely um, uh, does. <laughs> that's, that's, 
that's where. In, in fairness, I owe him many more in return because we toured with those right. guys endlessly, and he's a sweet, he's a sweetheart. Um, oh, is, is he? My, my, no, well, at the other, at the other end of the spectrum, I, I got connected with social distortion because his son, who I think was about ten or eleven at the time, got into my stuff, and um, he okay. tells a story that um, he had constantly walked past his son's bedroom listening to music coming out of it that he hated and then one day heard a record that he didn't hate uh, and he sort of popped his head around the door and said what's that and he said oh it's frank turner and and then he invited me on tour that's very very cool oh he's a i mean he's 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 mike ness i mean that's the, that is sort of the end of the conversation really do you know what i mean um sorry sorry just to jump back real quick i just um when you're talking about eton i just real quick want to ask because uh, i work mm. at lsc now so i just wanted what what your time there was right. like uh, you know you don't have to go into too much detail but like how was uh, yeah, it being a student um, there uh, uh, yeah i you know it's to be honest it's a funny thing I, my mum and dad used to say to me when i was younger you know you make your real friends for life at university and i don't i'm not in contact with anyone i went to university with because i was barely there <laughs> same actually um yeah. Uh, but, right yeah not basically because um i i i turned down a place um I've not, I've not really talked about this in public before, but fuck it, here we are. I turned down an unconditional offer from Cambridge University. Um, oh, wow. uh, okay. They really wanted me to go. And I was so fucking sick of being at Eton College by that point in my life that the idea of going to Oxbridge at that point in time filled me with horror and revulsion. Um, and I had also started getting really involved in the London hardcore scene, and I wanted to be in London. Um, my dad's family's from London, as I mentioned at the start, but my, my I grew up down in Winchester. And um, yeah. when I left school, I moved to London 45 minutes after my last A-level. I went home, grabbed a bag of clothes and went to London, um, which pissed my mum off. Um, uh, and, you know, I lived in London for a while. I'd, I'd been, I'd, I'd, I had done a little bit of squat in London during school holidays as well, um, whilst desperately trying to not tell people where I went to school. Um, uh, and... Uh, um, so, you know, London was where I wanted to be, where I wanted to go. London's in my blood. It still is. Do you know what I mean? I doubt that's ever going to yeah. change. But um, uh, I came up to London, got threw myself into the scene, and then I got a place at LSE, and I went to LSE. But essentially, I showed up for the lessons and the lectures, and I did the work, and I did care about the academic side of it. But I basically didn't ever really socialise because I already had a social circle sure. in London and places Funny. to be. I put on a couple of shows in the basement at LSE. Um, and uh, okay. yeah, a million dead played there twice, I think, and I, I promoted okay. those shows. Um, and uh, so we that, but I mean, that was just it was like we were at that point in a band's career where you're like play anywhere at any time, um, and that was an opportunity to put on a gig, so I did that. Um, but and and you know, the the stuff I was learning at LSE definitely went into my lyrics of Million Dead in the sense that I was studying Central and Eastern European history, and then I ended up writing songs about Polish communism and other such, um cool and hip things um but uh but yeah it's it's slightly passing by they tried to kick me out in my final year because i wasn't there because i was on tour um uh, and i missed a shitload of um classes and uh they um i got a call saying you're getting kicked out and that kind of put the fear of god in me because my parents would have killed me so uh um uh so i did i did graduate um uh but yeah i didn't like go to a graduation ceremony or anything like that um the one other thing i don't know if you I, I don't know what capacity you work at LSE in, but there's a there's a lecturer there called Anita Prasmauska, Dr. Prasmauska, who lectures in Eastern European history. Okay, and okay. she was my she she was my tutor, uh, and she's still there now. Um, and 
uh, a story worth telling though is that like so when i when i when i got my degree she asked me to go and study for a master's with her um learning history and i said i'm not gonna do that because million deb was really kicking off at that point so i said no uh, and, and um uh, you know, she said you should stop doing your stupid music thing that you're doing, or whatever. However, she phrased it. Um, so I went off and did that anyway. And then uh, ten years later, we were headlining the O2 in London, uh, or I was headlining the <laughs> yeah, O2 in yeah, London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, a couple of nights b- beforehand, I was, was having a conversation with my sister and, and remembering Dr. Prasmowska's existence. And you know, email addresses at universities are pretty easy. You just stick their first name and last name and the uh, of the LSE thing at the end. Um, so yeah. I dropped her a line and just said, listen, you know, I haven't spoke to you in a decade, but I just wanted to know that my, my stupid music thing's gone quite well. Uh, and I'm, uh, uh, I'm playing, the, playing the O2 tonight and if you want to, or tomorrow night or whatever it was. And if you want to come, yeah, I'll yeah. put you on the guest list. I'll get you a box and all the rest of it. And, uh, and she wrote back and said, I'm still not interested in your stupid music thing. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, having said that, she'd write a book about Vladislav Gomalka, who I wrote a song about. And I went down to the launch and we had coffee and it was very nice to see her. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh, yeah. She's a sweetheart and she's an incredibly smart uh, person. And in life, that is what I would have done, you know, um, because, I mean, I, as I say, I got a scholarship when I was 12 years old and, and I'm not trying to brag at this point, but like, you know, academia suits my brain, let's say that. Um, right. And that is probably the other thing I would have done. I don't mean to say that in a way that like, and it would have been easy, but um, uh, that was always plan B. Just just on the million dead thing, Frank, um, I yeah. saw... I, I, I was saying to Chris the other day, I saw you years ago, a million dead, in Newcastle as a support band. Mm. And I can't for the love of me remember who it was. Can you can you help us out? Um, <laughs> I can give you some... Nick's memory's terrible. Uh, it, it might... Did you tour with 100, 100 Reasons? No, we played with 100 Reasons a bunch. Um, uh, and I know those guys, but we didn't tour with them around the UK. We did a bunch of London shows with them, kind of before they blew up, actually. Um, right. uh and and very proud of them we all were too i might add it was a funny old thing suddenly this band from our scene because they were kind of from the hardcore scene originally and then suddenly they sold a hundred thousand records and everyone went fuck um but uh um uh no we talked with funeral for a friend a lot um it might well have been them um or it might have been pit shifter would be the other option that's weird i couldn't imagine you going to see either of those bands nick so no, this remains a mystery. No, <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to, to those bands, but I don't think Nick likes them. Yeah. Any American bands? Oh, we toured <laughs> with um, uh, um, we toured with Finch. That's that, it. That that'll be it. That's definitely. Yeah, it. this yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We t- Funny enough, the the Finch. The funny thing about the Finch tour is the Finch tour happened over the the London bombing in two thousand and. I think it was yeah 2005 oh, right. early yeah. 2005 yeah. we were on tour with Finch and my dad used to work in London and uh, he had gone off to work that morning and then turned his phone off and decided to sack work off and go golfing um, oh, uh, with his mates yeah. and and my mum the news came through about the bomb and it was sort of around the time and area that my dad would have been and so we all shit ourselves and uh, couldn't get hold of him because his phone's off and we were all just like <sighs> fuck um and then uh it transpired that he was just getting drunk with his mate um Damn, and uh he, he turned his phone on again and he wasn't watching the news either so he turned his phone on about 3 p.m and had like nine million missed calls or whatever and uh was like what's going on and it was like you dickhead um so wow. but he was all right thankfully but yeah that was yeah the finch tour i remember that well that was a good tour um i think uh we'll ask you a couple of quick questions and then we'll wrap this thing up we we usually do like a quick fire thing at the end of our podcasts 
I, um, I will so attempt got... to be quick. I, I talk quite a lot, you might have noticed, so I'll attempt to restrain <laughs> myself. Quickish, quick fire ish. Yeah, no, we always welcome guests okay. that, that talk quite a lot because uh, the opposite can, mm-hmm. can can be a bit bit more challenging, shall we say? Um, yeah, actually, I can imagine. <laughs> before we go into this, Frank, I just uh, just something I just randomly wanted to ask you before, and like, if, you know, if, if if this isn't a negative, you're, this will mean nothing. But I'm just curious, like sure. coming from Winchester and the Winchester scene, did you ever mm. did you ever know? Uh, I'm, I'm friends with a band called well, they were originally called Lassie Come Home, and they changed their name to Not Katie's, and had a, some minor success in the early 2000s. Do you remember them? I don't know. Coming from um, the same I'm part of the world, I'm vaguely aware of their existence. But I mean, the thing the thing for me is that like my time of going to shows and hanging out in Winchester was yeah. a bit earlier at, at a point in time when the alternative scene in Winchester pretty much consisted of one goth band. Okay. Um, and uh, whose name now escapes me? That's weird. I've forgotten that. But um, you know, and we go to the railway all the fucking time. But there yeah, wasn't yeah, really anything. There wasn't a punk scene in Winchester. Let's put it that way. There was probably indie stuff going on. But given my feelings about Britpop, I wasn't really. Of course. Yes, so this was so, just um, before they there were came there through, were metal yeah. shows, right? Yeah, and then and then and then I discovered that if I wanted punk rock, I had to go to London. So yep. I then uh, start going to London. Cool. Yep. <laughs> Thanks. I, I just I was just curious on that one. Uh, Nick, that do you want to get a quick fire question? Chris? No, it wasn't. Let, let's get it, <laughs> let's get into the quick fire things, and then we'll okay. Wrap let's do it. Up. So the the first question is: If you could go back to one Frank Turner show from history, which one would it be? That's a good question. Um, probably this is going to be boring, but probably the Wembley show simply because um, I just I don't really remember the Wembley show because I was so fucking like nervous and uptight about that gig that it went by in an absolute blur. Um, and I don't really remember what it was like. And I'd quite like mm. to know. And the thing is, <laughs> I learned from that experience to take a bit more time on stage and smell the roses okay. and that kind of thing. So sure. I remember there have been plenty of other big as big or bigger shows since then. But that one was such an event and I don't really remember it. Um what who's been the artist that you've been most starstruck by like either playing with or just or oh, even just God. meeting been in this world like, I, I, cliche I, question I, but we've got to ask yeah it. no i know but i've got a terror i'll try and keep this brief but like i i <laughs> um i've met i've met a lot of people who i grew up listening to their music and enjoying it and i've i've yeah. comported myself well for the most part but when i met james hetfield i fucked <laughs> it up like absolutely really? in inarguably fucked it up it was backstage at a social d show in oakland california which is where he lives and he's friends right. with mike ness and he came yeah. down and he was at the after show and i went over and i went hi um and basically then completely clammed up and it was so awkward that he started making small talk <laughs> like he was like he was like i like your tattoos and i said thanks and and it was and eventually my fucking tour manager came over and like led me away like a fucking idiot child (laughs) apologizing over my shoulder and uh and he was like that was the worst thing i've ever seen in my life and i said i know um so yeah james hetfield yeah i mean that's understandable probably the one of the biggest bands of all time (laughs) Uh, and and also you know whatever one might think about what metallica have done in recent years and i think that there are many different things to say about that they're still fucking metallica and and i think that people who want to be too cool to be into metallica can go fuck themselves personally (laughs) (laughs) So, so on the other side of that question, is there anyone who didn't kind of live up to your expectation or like maybe disappointed you when meeting them? Yes, but I'm loath to name names because <laughs> I was raised to not say anything if nothing nice to say. But there's been there's been one or two that I've encountered in my time that has been less fun. But I'm not I'm not going to slag it off. I mean, given the fact that obviously you have this principle to try and not speak badly about people, it kind of demonstrates how bad Nicki Minaj must have been that time. Oh yeah, well I've got no issue with that because she is an obvious, uh, and I had no idea who she was, and she was just yeah. being an absolute 
<laughs> scumbag and to the crew backstage and that really grinds my gears um yeah. so yeah um that that is one that i'm happy to uh recount good for you uh oh it's my turn isn't it sorry um is what what's the artist that surprised you the most um you know actually going back to the things that we've talked about already today i think i'd have to say blur funnily enough um i okay. really really didn't like blur growing up and i'm still not the biggest fan but i caught them live at glastonbury whenever that was um mm. and was really pretty profoundly blown away by how good they were live um and they they absolutely kicked the shit out of the audience the show was super energetic kind of punk um and I, I walked away from the stage reevaluating my opinion of them. Um, and okay. uh, my tour manager is the biggest Blur fan in the fucking universe and had always been telling me this and I'd been slightly ignoring her. So I, I learned that day. Okay, a uh, couple more. So we've got favourite festival and favourite venue to play. Favourite festival, um, uh, it's a tie for me between 2000 Trees and Beautiful Day. Um Beautiful days, sorry. Uh, the Levelers Festival. I mean, but, but kind of for the same reasons. It's just a really, really lovely family kind of atmosphere there. Everybody's on the same team. Um, uh, you know, there are festivals where I just feel very cool wandering around, hanging out, you know. Um, so it was the second one's favourite band, was it? Uh, venue. Oh, venue. Sorry, venue. Yeah, favourite venue. I mean... <sighs> Um, there's a part of me that thinks that, um, with all due respect to the indie venues that I'm trying to help at the moment, that, that a show is about much more than the room that you're in. It's about the energy exchange between an audience and a performer and blah, 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 blah. Um, I have a lot of love for the joiners and for, I have a lot of love for Nambuka, which is one of those, the first two. I I'd probably have to pick City as my number one in Nottingham because it's just the best okay. venue in the world. In fact, as I speak to you now on the wall in front of me, I have a, a framed piece of floor from I've got a piece oh, of wow. his old floor <laughs> framed, um, uh, which they gave me, which I'm very proud of. Nice. nice. Just just linking on from what you just said there, is there, I mean, if you had to uh, pick a, a country of craziest fans, you say that you know the the people that make it. <laughs> Who, who would you, would you um, put put that down? You haven't done you haven't done South America that though yet though, right? And they're apparently no. cited as some of the craziest yeah. fans in the world. Well, I was going to say Mexican people tend to be full on and and like, lovely way, but like man, yeah. they want to let you know that they're fans like a lot, <laughs> yeah. um, and they'll find out they'll find out the hotel you're staying in, and they'll come and hang out outside and and all the rest of it. But I mean, that's not to do anybody in Mexico down. I love playing in Mexico; it's awesome. Nice. But nice. I mean, I have to say though, this is going to sound like a slightly milk toast answer but these days i tend to spend much more time outside the uk touring because there is more of the world than there is of the uk we live in a small country um mm. but nevertheless it's my home country and it's where i do the best so every time i come back and do a uk tour i'm always kind of pleasantly surprised again about how fucking great the shows are do you know what i mean it's just like the atmosphere is always amazing the crowds are always killer and and it's it's always just kind of a nice sort of homecoming Oh, nice. lovely, lovely. Um, and finally um, I guess we're, we're asking this because uh, for the most part uh, guests on, on our show uh, tend to be yeah, from pop punk bands uh, past and present so sure. um, uh, so it's a double question if you had like a favourite all time pop punk band or and a favourite current pop punk band if you pay attention to what's happening in that world much these days uh, I, 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 I don't pay as much attention to it as I should uh, but uh, a little bit um, all time I mean <sighs> I probably it's a tie for me between Descendants and No Effects. Okay. Um, uh, if both of those count as pop punk, who knows? But like, I mean, yeah, Everything I Sucks so. is arguably my favourite punk album of all time. 
Um, in terms of current bands, um, uh, I'm a really, really, I don't, again, I don't know if you want to call them pop punk, but I'm an enormous fan of Off With Their Heads. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, they yeah. happen to be friends and touring partners as well. Nice. Yeah, we, we were going to, we were going to chat to them at Manchester Punk Festival uh, later this month, but for obvious reasons, that's not happening. Yeah. It's a shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan, Ryan's a maniac, but he's an absolute sweetheart. And if you do talk to him, tell him I say, go fuck yourself. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Frank, thank you so much for, for giving. Thank us you guys. Your time. This has been fun. I've been rambling away and telling old stories. Uh, no, it's, it's been it's fun. been perfect. It's been perfect. Awesome. Um, thank you. Ace. Much appreciated. Appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. Thanks very much, guys. Take right. care. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any, anywhere like that. Um, also check us out on social media if you, if you just search for Wasting Time Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook give us a like or a follow on any of those and also we love hearing from listeners as well so um, feel free anytime to drop us an email at thewastingtimepodcast at gmail.com or obviously you can message us on social media as well but um, yeah we'll catch you next time for you to arrive